The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 13. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented in the screens above. Hear the word of the Lord. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate, associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexual or moral or greedy, and a dilator or a slander or a drunk or a slender, swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God would judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Ooh, ooh. That was kind of a hard deal. Hey, before you go anywhere, hey, come on back up here. I got a question for you. You don't know this, but um, okay. So I do this to my wife all the time. <clears throat> I say, honey, if you only if you had a choice between you know this, it's really bad, or this, it's really bad. Which would you choose? Kind of a deal. And I won't go into some of the things I say to her, but to you, to you, my brother, would you prefer to be called? This is the only two options. A, a judgmental person or a hypocrite? That's your choice right there. There's no... Don't overthink it. <laughs> judgmental person. Really? Okay. Hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> Neither? Both? I don't know. All, both of the above. Yeah, right. Okay. You did your job. Thank you. It's a tough call, isn't it? I mean, if you had to choose... No, you're, you're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, 1961, Joseph Heller wrote a book called Catch-22, and the title of that book has become part of our, our culture. I mean, we, we use that phrase uh, left and right. And it, it, it's good to remember what it means. And so, there we go. Uh, this is an example of a Catch-22, which a lot of college age kids would understand. How am I supposed to gain experience to find a good job if I am constantly turned down for not having any experience, right? And, and that's, you're in a conundrum, you're in a paradox, you're caught in this logical loop that has no, seeming has, seemingly has no good way out of it. And we're going to look at the catch-22 that um, the Corinthians were facing and that 
that we ourselves face. Because, uh, well, let me, let me give you a couple more definitions here. And I've already hinted at what it's going to be. But judgmentalism is the quality or state of being too willing to criticize the actions and the behavior of others and um, say that they are wrong, to tell somebody they're wrong. And Jesus uh, would seem to back that up. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And Paul, in this letter, these first four chapters at least, has we see that there's a real problem in Corinth with people thinking they're better than others. They're spiritually higher. They're looking down. They're, uh, they're, they're following one leader over and against another because that would be from a higher place. And those people don't have what we have kind of stuff. So there's a lot of judgmental attitudes that Paul is addressing. However... The hypocrite, uh, this is another, this is the definition. Behavior that contradicts what one claims they believe, the appearance of virtue without being good. So looking good without being good. That's a real problem too. And Jesus addresses that. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. They love to look like they're praying in order to be seen. Matthew 6, verse 5. So here's the question is that, is can you, how do you tell a hypocrite they're a hypocrite without being judgmental? You see, you see. I mean, you ought to at least feel that the weight of that that conundrum, and that's really what Paul is is doing here. And it, it raises all kinds of questions because for those who would are on the extreme would say, no, you can never tell somebody they're wrong because you're going to be judgmental. Um, that creates all kinds of, of problems. So here's my little story from a long time ago, long time ago, 20, probably 25 years ago. I had a, um, a doctor. He was very well educated, very, uh, I would say, enlightened and very fun to be around. And he asked me, uh, surprisingly, he asked me to help him with his family relationships because there were struggles there both with his wife and his kids. And I said I would meet with him weekly, uh, which I, I did for months anyway. And um, I, I discovered as I watched him and um, particularly as I watched him relate and as I got under the, under the covers of, of his exterior that there was more there and that his family particularly had a very low view of him. And so he projected one thing to the world, but his family saw another side to him. And that other side was just very toxic. Think of exhaust coming out of an exhaust pipe into your home and what that would do to the, the atmosphere of your home. And, and I talked to his wife and I watched him interact with his kids. And one day I said to him, well, not without some context, but I said to him, you are a pompous jackass. It's a very pastoral thing to say, you know. <laughs> And I, you know, and, and I think I said that in love, if you can say that in love, and to try to wake him up and get him to see himself more clearly. That's, by the way, that's why he, was, he wanted me to help him, right? I don't know. Uh, we, we continued to meet, and he actually did bring our relationship to a deeper level where we could talk more honestly about um, the struggles that he was having in his family. But... I don't feel like I was being judgmental. And if you think I was being judgmental, then you're judging me right now and you've got your own issues, right? Okay. All right. You see how, you see how this thing works or doesn't work? I mean, it's really, really hard. So um, we're going to look at the, the church in Corinth. And I, I want to say this because it's a general statement, but we're, we're going to see it's, it's a good example of it. That in the Bible, the Bible 
um, was written into a culture in the first century, in this case, in a city called Corinth, roughly 55 AD. Paul was writing from Ephesus to them. We get to read it. We're kind of like eavesdropping in on that letter that was written. But the Bible cuts across uh, culture. So it will offend us. It, but it, and it might offend this this particular thing. I think probably did offend a few of us, or at least offended our sensibilities. And thinking, what? I hope Pastor Mark has something to help explain that. And maybe, but we'll see. But then there's other uh, parts of, of Scripture that would would cut across other cultures differently. And so here's here's my thing here, is that we live in a very individualistic culture. That's the air we breathe, the water we drink. It's very individual. There's all kinds of support for that. I could, you know, I think you know that, but because we live in that water, we don't always understand that we're drinking it. It's just there. But other cultures, especially traditional cultures, are very community-centered. And they would not be offended by this passage the way we might be. Because this tends to be very hard. What does it say to the man? What what are they supposed to do? What's the word? Expel. Expel the man. I mean, that's like excommunicate. And it's, it's a very strong thing about, for the sake of community, expel this one man. That's the way traditional cultures kind of function. And there's, there's shame in that. It's not all good. I'm not saying it's good, but that's just the way those cultures are set up. That's their norm, and ours isn't that way. But something else might offend them. Another part of the scriptures might offend them. So is when, when Jesus says uh, of the, the parable of the lost sheep, he, that the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep. He leaves the community for the sake of the one, and that might offend the traditional group. So what's, I'm just making the point here that scripture, it, it, can, it offends different cultures at different points. And it's, that's just what it is. It's the eternal word of God. Cuts across. There's no perfect cultures out there, and we're certainly not. All right, but we have to deal with this. I'll do my best to explain uh, what this passage is saying to us today in 2017. Hypocrisy. We're going to look at how hypocrisy hurts people. It really does hurt uh, it hurts a community, and it hurts people. And we're going to look at the extreme situation that was there in Corinth, and then Paul's uh, ex- extreme response, expel the man, is, a, is pretty strong. And then we're going to just make a few observations as, as we close. So let me read to you the first couple of verses here, and we'll try to get at the situation. Paul says, it is actually, and you know, think about that, actually <laughs> reported that there is, <clears throat> is sexual immorality among you. And that's, that's not surprising because Corinth was a very sin city kind of place. So that part, okay, not good, but, but here's the part that is extreme. And of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife. A man is sexually involved with the best case, uh, not the best case scenario, the, the best explanation is that this is probably his stepmother. And there are commentaries on that would uh, suggest that uh, this was probably a wealthy man, this, this man that's involved with his stepmother, that has to do with uh, some cultural things that are kind of hard to explain, but one of them you would get, and that is that sometimes wealthy people get a free pass when it comes to ethical behaviors in churches. Because why? They're big givers, right? 
And that's, that would be hypocrisy on the part of the church. And uh, so that, that, we're not sure on that one, but that, that could be part of what's going on here. Um, but they're, they're living, so they're living in Corinth when this happens, and this church is supposed to be an alternative to the corruptive culture around it. That culture around it is known as the Las Vegas of its day. And what happens there stays there kind of a thing. Right, and so um, uh, Paul is uh, addressing uh, an issue that and he's and he's actually kind of flabbergasted. You can tell this activity, this incest, is really the word for it. This incest between a man and his stepmother was forbidden in Jewish law, Leviticus. We can find it there. It was also forbidden in the Roman legal codes. We can find it there, and then it's also very much a no-no in pagan cultures. And yet, here you have this group of people called the church that are supposed to represent God with the light of Christ, and they are doing things that the pagans wouldn't even do. Do you see why this is extreme? That's all I'm asking. Do you see it? Give me a nod. This is extreme. If this were going on in a group, you would say, yeah, this is nuts. Now, that's, just, that's not even the half of it, though. That's not even the half of it, because Paul's, he's really concerned about that, but he's even more concerned that the church is proud of it. They, that's the word he uses in verse 2. They know what's going on, it's out there in the open, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and mourning? And put the man out of your fellowship. So uh, Paul is is really, really uh, sort of animated about this. More on the point of them knowing about it and then being proud of it. So Paul wants to address both the man, he's going to address him, and he's also going to address the church, both, and we'll see that coming up. But before we get there, let's look at why they might be proud, because that's kind of hard for us to understand. Why would a church be proud of this kind of behavior? They have uh, a couple of... uh, I'm I'm going to give you two heresies, and I I use the word heresies... uh, not in a, in a judgmental tone, but these are these are considered heresies by the church throughout the ages. So they have been identified as these are not part of the Christian faith. What I'm going to tell. So the first one has to do with their understanding of the body, meaning the the, the human this thing right here that you see and that you have there with you. It's your body, and that what the view that we have. We've already run into this. Is that some at least in Corinth. Um, view the body as a just simply a throwaway thing that your spirit is living in that has no connection to your spiritual life. Now we get into chapter six, and we're going to tell Paul's going to say explicitly that your body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. So he has a very Paul has a very high view of the body. But there were people who had a very low view of the body, and, the, and the, the line of thinking went something like this, is that the body doesn't really matter, therefore you can do whatever you want with your body, including sexual immorality. So there you go. There's the, there's the one heresy there. The low view, really the low view of the body. And disconnected from your spirituality, uh, which uh, uh, orthodox view would be that your body is included in your spirituality and you are to keep your body holy. Okay, so there's that. And then there's this idea of freedom, that they had a, a, a licentious view of freedom. In other words, they understood freedom as a license to do whatever you want. 
and um, so um, in in the extreme cases which which we're seeing here they're wanting to flaunt a something that would be traditionally understood as wrong, even by pagan cultures understood as wrong, but because they have now freedom in Christ, they, they, they're sort of like flaunt, they're proud of it. They're flaunting it and just saying, look how much freedom we have. So Paul will deal with this again later in the letter, and he, he uses this little phrase that everything is permitted, but not everything is wise and uh, will are profitable and we'll we'll come into that one later but it's along those lines that they're doing things that they have freedom to do because yeah I guess but they're they're using their freedom in a very poor way they're flaunting it so here, my example and this is not anything like this but when I first became a Christian I would I was I started going to uh, a church that and, and I got interacting with a youth pastor and not around kids but Around me, at least, he would he would use the F word as a youth pastor, and I think he he was trying to say, "I'm free to use that language; it doesn't disqualify me in Christ." Well, I was a new Christian trying to clean up my mouth, and uh, you know, it's, ah, I don't need to hear that. I mean, I was kind of thinking there might be something different on this side of the fence. <laughs> it's the same stuff, you know, uh, where I came from. I mean, it was confusing to me at the time, but I think his motivation was to show me that there is freedom in Christ. And that's not the way to use your freedom. You're free to love. You're free to serve. You're freed up from the guilt of the, and the weight of the law. But now you, it's, it's a different kind of, of freedom. So these are the, the heresies they're, they're getting into. Does that, does that make sense? And that's why they're proud. They're, they're puffed up. All right, so Paul now is going to address them in the extreme. And um, we already kind of let the cat out of the bag on that one, and he's going to basically say, get rid of the guy and all the rest. But we'll, we'll qualify that here in just a minute and see that it's not quite like that. Uh, so I want to look at Paul's options that he has as a, he could have written or something, said something differently, done something differently. We can, we can critique him a little bit maybe. Uh, the first option would be to actually say nothing. And there are those that today would, that in, from our cultural um, milieu would argue for that, that to say something into the situation is to be judgmental. So here's how the line of thinking goes. And it usually goes, it's something like this, is that, hey, we're, after all, we're all sinners. Therefore, you can't, don't judge somebody. We're, we're all sinners. You can't judge anybody. Well, how does that work in parenting? Well, after all, you know, I mean, your kid does something really, really goofy, and, and well, I can't, I can't really correct him, because after all, I am not a perfect person. See, it doesn't work in parenting. You would have totally uncorrected kids, never learning what's right or wrong. So uh, there's some problems with that one. There are times to, to you know, obviously uh, to, to, to be careful, and, and, uh, but to do nothing... You have to remember that hypocrisy, we'll get to this a little bit later, but it, it hurts people. So it's, and it's more than just the man who's being hurt. To do nothing here would not be, uh, it would not be good, it would not be wise. Secondly, though, he could have written a separate letter to the leaders, maybe the pastor, and say, I understand this is going on. Can you deal with this discreetly? Uh, we don't need the whole church to know about it. Uh, gently, sensitively, you understand what I'm saying? And that's how I would want to do it. 
right? I think that was probably the best way. But guess what? The cat's already out of the bag of the whole church. Everybody knows this. They're celebrating it. They're proud of it. So Paul can't go there. That's not in his bag. The extreme situation requires an extreme response. Now, there's two little weird things that are going on behind the scenes here. One is that uh, incest, by nature, is typically dead on arrival once it's exposed to light. If you think about, if, if you know people, and I'm, I'm guessing there are people in this room who have been victims or in, in yeah, anyway, it's dark stuff. It, it works best in dark places. And then when it's exposed to light, it's, there's shame everywhere. It's just an awful thing. But in this case, it's all, it's, it's thriving and it's out in the open. It's really weird. Everybody knows about it. That's weird. And because everybody knows about it, the second thing that's weird is that Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. And when Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians, it's read to the whole church that's meeting on a Sunday morning. That man is probably there. This is weird, isn't it? If I, you know, I'm reading the letter and it says, you know, Les, you did something and out of here. You know, I mean, you're, it's, he's here, and, and now he's got to leave and expel the man. And that, I don't know what to do with, uh, but that factor is in there as well. So the whole church knows about this. The man is there, and Paul uh, addresses the situation. And, he, I mean, Paul, give him credit for being courageous. The reason he has to do it is because people are being hurt. Now, how does the hypocrisy hurt? This is where, I'm going to just give you three probable possible areas where the hurt would be. One is it would hurt. if you have kids in your midst and they see this going on, they know their parents are talking, whispering. They, things like this don't stay hidden. Everybody seems to know who's an adult. Kids are going to find out. What does that do to a kid? When this place, this, this thing you call church, is allowing something to happen. Maybe your, kids at, at the, your friends at school are making fun of you because you're part of that group that allows that. You know, and why would that kid want to grow up in Christian faith? People get hurt. There's collateral damage to sin. So kids get hurt. Youth get hurt. That's just the starters. And then the world around them that is supposed to be looking on the church as an oasis, as a life raft, as a refuge from sin, they look there and what do they see? They see sin in deeper, darker forms than they know exist. And ultimately, the gospel of Jesus Christ gets hurt, and the gospel gets boiled down to, you are saved from hell, and you can live like hell. What kind of gospel is that? That's where Paul really gets animated. He loves the gospel. He loves Jesus. And he he can't just sit back and let this happen. So he runs the risk of being called judgmental. Yeah, and... uh, he had, first of all, addresses the man. And I want you to see this, at least, we call it the nuclear option if you want, but he says, expel the man. And, um, but he says in verse 5, he says, hand this man over to Satan, which sounds awful, but think of it as, what commentators will say is, hand him over to the sphere where Satan operates kind of in these kind of ways, he will fit better there than he does here. So head him over to Satan, and then the second part is that his, so that his sinful nature may be destroyed, which is where the issues are, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. And the, 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 the implication there is that it's kind of like if you've had children in this category or where they keep 
doing the same thing over again, over and over. This is persistent sin by this guy. It's not, this is not a one-night deal. This is an ongoing thing. And um, there may have been those in his life who have addressed it, maybe not. But here's the idea, that the, uh, people who are um, uh, persistently in a pattern of misbehavior, the, the AA approach is, or whatever is tough love. You've you got to... You can't just keep enabling them. You can't just keep supporting them, encouraging them, being fearful to talk to them, not confronting. You have to do an intervention. You have to do something because you love them. And hopefully they will hit bottom. And when you hit bottom, the only place to look is where? Up. So Paul has not given up on this man. He is being disciplined for the sake of his soul. Paul is, you know, we may disagree with how he's doing it, but that's his motivation, you can tell here. He wants this man to have a better day in his future than he has today. This is not good. So uh, he deals with uh, the man, and then he says to the community, you need to understand something, and this is, this is a word for us in verses 6 through 8, that there's a, this thing called yeast, and it's a good metaphor, Paul is saying, that this yeast, I'll get you a picture of yeast here. This is, you all know what that looks like, dry yeast, um, it's called active yeast, but it's really not active until you add water to it. And then it really gets going, <laughs> and it permeates the whole loaf. That's the point. You, you can't just put a little bit of yeast in this part of the loaf without it spreading over here. And this is, so we would say in our colloquialism that uh, one bad apple does what? It just, yeah, the whole barrel or whatever. So it's that kind of, it spreads. Sin is uh, generative. Sin is, like, is viral. Sin is a socially transmitted disease. Sin, when, when uh, Nick, I, for, I, I, I forgot to... You do it? I, yeah, no, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to Nick because I, I was supposed to do it, but I don't know. The word sin, Nick, I don't know. Just, yeah, I just, I don't know. But, um, but if, if, for example, that, that Nick were to sin... Uh, just for example, uh, but that doesn't stay. It doesn't stay. I can use you because you're on staff. I've already used JD. No one else is in the room. You're my guy. Uh, but we we tend to think that that stays within Nick somehow. But it spills out, and then Cora, and then it spreads. I'm sorry, but that's that's how it works. And and it, if I and if I sin, it, it it has an effect on people. It's it's really contagious, and we don't think that way. Uh, we tend to think uh, two consenting adults in freedom, choosing to do what they want, no one else is affected. That's not true. Now, we're not here, Paul says specifically, we're not here to judge the world, but we are here to hold ourselves accountable to the truth. And um, that's, that's the point. Sin spreads. Sin is generative. All right, so I want to give you a couple of examples of um, how this works in, in my life. Two stories, and then we'll, I'll, we'll get to the conclusions. So I had a, uh, uh, when I was in Alaska, we had a couple, really a wonderful young couple, and they were, they were dating, and they, they came together to our Explore class, which is a, um, what, well, we have it here, which is newcomers, you become a member, kind of a deal. And uh, we had it at church, and they brought with them a, a bottle. I remember this because it was so quaint. It's the only time it's ever happened. They brought with them a bottle of wine. And I'm okay with wine, but, you know, churches, we usually don't, in our churches anyway, we don't drink wine at church. It's just, you know, it's one of those tradition things. And they didn't know that. And I didn't, how do I not shame them and not violate our policy kind of a deal? I just remember, I remember going through all that stuff. But um, George and Jenny, they 
We, then they wanted to become members, and um, I'm thinking, okay, let me, I'm not sure exactly where, where, what their lives are like, so let me have a talk with them, and I had this little talk, and they started it out by saying they were so excited because she was pregnant, and they're not married, and uh, um, they were, I mean, honestly, she was just really, they were just really excited. I said, well, you know, I just hate to be the one to have to say this, but let me, let me try to explain it in the best light. You are loved by Jesus, and we have a, a strong belief, and we include it in our membership deal, that, to, that, that marriage and sexuality go together. And God's grace is, you, you know, you're not excluded from God's grace, but, but he, would, he has better things for you. And they're saying, oh, so we can't become members. And I said, yeah, that's really what it means. And I said, but um, let's, let's keep talking. And so we kept talking, and, and he, he said to me, kind of with a big smile, he says, you know, we've been thinking about getting married. I think that's probably what we should do. <laughs> yeah, I did the wedding, and then I was able to dedicate their, their child, and I really don't remember if they ever became members. I don't, I just, it was irrelevant at that point. There were bigger things at stake, I guess, but, but it, all, it just turned out so well, and they thanked me for it. They actually came back when they were living in another state. They came back to have their second child dedicated by me. And it was able to just explain how, how that worked. Hopefully I wasn't judgmental. I don't, you know, they didn't take it that way. Another couple, about the same period of time, and she was uh, a great Sunday school teacher. She was, she was gifted in that way. And she had a, um, a guy. I didn't know if they were married or not, but I found out they weren't, and they were living together, and she had a 10-year-old daughter. And so I had, oh, gee, here I get I, I you know, realize, you know, this is just me. I'm trying to, you know, we don't handle it the way, not in front of the whole church, right? No shame. Try to keep the shame factor really low. Saying Same thing, basically, that we're part of it, uh, the biblical tradition that where marriage and sexuality go together. We'd love to have you around here. The problem is, is that you're, as a teacher, you're modeling things. You're modeling things for your daughter right now that you, I don't know, you'd want that for her when she gets older and explained all this kind of the same stuff. And the response I got was, you are so judgmental. So they went, they left the church and, um, you know, in Corinth where we're in 55 AD, there was no other church. So that was a problem if you're going to leave the church, but um, I think they probably did go to another church and I don't know what happened. But you take a risk when you, you, you need to check your heart. I'm not, I, I don't think I was judgmental. I wasn't trying to, I was just trying to uphold this standard that's consistent with the faith and uh, they went elsewhere. Three observations. One, the first one's really important <laughs> to realize that 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is an extreme situation. And I've been in places where people say this is how you should handle church discipline on a normal basis. That was not normal in 55 AD. Paul had to deal with it the way he did or something like that. And it would be nuts. If you like that story that we've read this morning, then you do have a judgmental heart, I think. That's me not being judgmental, but just trying to, you know, whatever. Back to that conundrum thing. Secondly, so it's extreme, and we should, be, we should only apply that in extreme situations. I think, I am so thankful I've never had to do that, that right there. Secondly, uh, the judgment thing. When Jesus talks about, do not judge lest you also be judged, it's good to remember that in the Bible there are two 
uses of the word judge in general. One has to do with dividing, it, it really means dividing two things, one being good from evil. And it's a great thing in life to be able to divide good and evil, to have that what we would call moral compass. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. The, the, the other use of the word judge is when you are critical of a, a brother or a sister and you are looking down on them. And that's what Paul is doing here. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. Paul, when I say Paul is doing here, I mean Paul has been doing with the Corinthians up to this part. But in this particular chapter, what Paul is saying is that this man is in persistent sin and rebellion against God, and he is trying to have it both ways, both in Christ and both in the world, and that's called hypocrisy, and Paul is calling him out for it. Okay, It's very different than what Jesus said about do not judging other, not judging others. Okay, finally, and this is such a Paul thing, and I, I want to end on this because it's very, very. Uh, I think it's very positive. It's in verse seven where Paul uh, says, if I can find it here, he says, "Get rid of the old yeast, that is that that old way of life, that old sin pattern in your life, that you may be a new batch without yeast." So you, what, what Paul is saying is that you are a new loaf of bread. You are a new creation. And be who you are. Because Paul is aware that people could easily misinterpret his words and turn it into a do's and don'ts kind of religion. And he will, he will not go there. Paul does not do that. He always says, I say always, but he always comes back to this idea of identity. And he reminds you who you are. You are a new creation. Now, live it out. Live out of who you are. Paul would be one like Popeye who says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am. And live out of who you are. Live out of your identity. And then he caps it off by going a little bit further and saying, for Christ is the Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for you. And he recenters his whole argument in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul has an instinct for the center, not for the edges, but for the center. And he does that in this difficult passage. Come clean. When Jesus became our sacrifice for us, we, we have the opportunity now to turn to him and that, that yeast that is in our hearts and our whatever, bodies, minds, whatever, we can come to Jesus, to the living center, to the one who was hurt for us and stop hurting ourselves. Stop hurting ourselves and stop hurting others. By the grace of God, Jesus Christ is there for us. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us now, we pray. May your grace abound to us as we bring to light, as we allow your Holy Spirit to bring to light the things, Lord, that are not good in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, the things that are um, imported from the past, the things that are um, from the realm of darkness. We pray, Jesus, that you would wash those away by your blood, by the living water that is you, Cleanse us, O Lord. Cleanse us today. Now, we pray. Renew us. Renew our hearts. Renew our minds. Renew our bodies in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.